Luke chapter 2, we all know how it starts with uh, our friend Caesar Augustus. We hear about this betrothed couple um, expecting a baby, uh, making their way down to Bethlehem, the city of David. We know about the birth of Christ. In verse 8, we hear about how the shepherds heard the news as they were uh, doing their jobs, watching their flocks. And verse 9 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, the King James is hard to uh, forget, they were sore afraid. Uh, they were filled with fear, is what my says. Uh, they heard from the angels about good news of great joy. And uh, we move on down in verse 21. And we hear at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now remember, Luke's writing with a purpose here. He's writing to establish that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah uh, spoken of so many hundreds of years before. And the, the big idea throughout Luke is that he is not going to want to pass up an opportunity to firmly establish the claims that Jesus was who was prophesied to be, and that is the Christ. And here we have uh, uh, yet another. He's, he started, you know, there's genealogies, both Matthew and Luke, of course, did genealogies that really root uh, who Jesus was in history, and then we... we hear these touch points about um, John the Baptist and of course the, uh, his parents and uh, we, we march right through and in verse 21 we have another little um, uh, element there that Luke points out that uh, this couple uh, was a devout couple they were obedient to the law um, it says on the eighth day he was circumcised that's when he received his name Jesus. So they're uh, being obedient to these, um, to the, the, the calendar, so to speak, that would be established for the birth of a child. And we're going to see that going on, which is our main focal passage, beginning in verse 22, and we'll be going down through verse 38. Um, verse 22, and it says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Uh, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. Um, according to the law of Moses, and, and we'll get uh, into some more stipulations, but uh, especially this would apply to Mary. Uh, of course, there are a lot of ceremonial laws, and uh, specifically after the birth of a boy, um, uh, there was a period of 40 days um, of uh, being set apart uh, where she would uh, have been uh, restricted from going toward anything holy. Uh, she couldn't have gone to temple uh, prior to that. Uh, so at the end of that period of time, uh, you went to temple for uh, purification according to uh, the law of Moses, and, and that's why they were there. And it's interesting that it says their purification um, we don't really know how that applied to Joseph or if, it, if this is just Luke's way of presenting them as a couple. But some people get this idea that there were a lot of things on their checklist. You know, you might, um, uh, this is a very coarse analogy, but 
you, you wouldn't want to go to the DMV for one thing and then come back the next day and do the other thing and then come back the next day and do the other thing. You wanted to do it all at once. So there were several things that they needed to do at the temple. One was a purification of Mary. Uh, the other one, which really isn't talked about in Luke, was that if you had a firstborn son, the rule was your son belonged to the Lord. So you had to redeem your son back by paying a fee. And so that transaction would have needed to happen there. Uh, and then there was um, uh, this um, uh, sacrifice, which we'll get to, which is kind of part of the whole thing. So uh, they were trying to be very uh, diligent in terms of their uh, keeping the law of Moses is that they to present him to the Lord. Now, some people think this presenting him to the Lord, that's where they see this redemption transaction happen. It's not talked about explicitly here. Uh, it also has echoes of um, when Hannah presented Samuel um, in, in reality, you know, not to bring him back, but to give him uh, to the Lord, of course. Um, so let's, let's go on. So the, the, you get the idea that this is a couple trying to be devout, trying to do exactly what they uh, thought they should do. Verse 23, um, present him to the Lord as it's written in the law of, of the Lord. Every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They had to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this was not the preferred sacrifice. The, the recommended sacrifice was to present a lamb. Uh, but there was a provision that if you couldn't afford a lamb, uh, then you could have this alternative, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is certainly a, a testament to uh, their poverty. Um, assuming they could scrape together enough um, to pay this redemption fee, um, it must have hardly had anything left. Um, certainly people talk about, well, maybe they rode a donkey. If they hadn't had a donkey, they probably would have sold it, bought a lamb. Uh, the wise men hadn't showed up with all these gifts. They probably would have sold it, bought a lamb. They would have done whatever it took to meet that, that requirement, but they couldn't. They were in poverty. They bought the pigeons or the turtle doves. So this was uh, certainly an indicator that, um, uh, as, we, as we know, you know, Jesus was not brought up uh, around lots of um, uh, means and status and so forth. Now we introduce uh, one of our main characters for the day. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit shows up occasionally uh, in Scripture. Uh, we know, um, of course, Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on um, people from time to time. I'm not a Greek scholar, but apparently the language here is that the Holy Spirit was continually on Simeon, a very unusual thing um, before Pentecost. Um, but here he is um, uh, having the Holy Spirit upon him and being righteous and devout. So the righteous and devout is kind of a, 
uh, a way of saying he was not only um, connecting properly with the Lord, but he was also conducting his affairs in public in a way that uh, maintained an excellent reputation. And uh, what's Luke doing here? Well, he's going to tell us a story, but he's also highlighting this is a very reliable witness, yet again, to who Christ was, to really establish um, a very reliable witness uh, as, to, as to what's going to happen. So we're going to see that in a moment. And looking ahead in verse 36, we're going to meet our second main character, uh, the prophetess uh, Anna, or Anna. And um, so now we have two witnesses, and we know that uh, the truth of something could be firmly established if you had two witnesses, and, and that's part of Luke's big idea as we work through this passage. So what was he doing? He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? What's the consolation of Israel? The Messiah. Um, what's all a prophecy been about? You know, what did Isaiah t- talk about so many times? One day, right? One day, God's going to make it right. One day, there are going to be some promises fulfilled. One day, your hope is going to be um, realized. You know, God's promises are going to be manifest in the, in the person of the Messiah. That was the consolation of Israel. Simeon had been waiting for that. When things are going great around you, it's human nature to, as they say nowadays, enjoy the moment, right? When things aren't going great around you, what do you do? You hope for something else. You hope for something better. You want to move past these days, and you're looking for better days, right? So things weren't great back then. Um, in fact, back in the day, the number of righteous and devout people in the temple may have been a minority. This was not uh, a real um, uh, great place. There was a lot of badness going on in the temple, and we may get to that. But here we have Simeon, a reliable witness, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, in touch with the Holy Spirit. And look what happened in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise. What a promise. Simeon, just wait. You're going to get to see this. Amazing. Now, <laughs> we'll see in a minute um, where it says, uh, you know, okay, I'm ready to die now. I've seen, I've seen the Christ. And so a lot of people say, well, he's so ready to die, he must be old. Um, that's an assumption that everybody makes. We know nothing about how old he was. He may have been 30. I don't know. But that was enough. He was ready to die. We'll see that. It had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and then we're going to go into this uh, song of of Simeon here. Um, It just so happens, it just so happened that he was there when the parents brought him in. Well, of course, this was not a coincidence. This was providence, right? He was in the Holy Spirit. Uh, There was this divine appointment that was happening. And, um, you know, if you've got a six or seven week old baby and uh, you're walking through a store, I was going to say walking through a mall. Do malls exist anymore? I don't know. I haven't been in one in a long time. But let's say you're walking to a store and some guy um, walks up and grabs your baby. Uh, that's not going to go well. <laughs> um, there's going to be some, some protests that are happening. Now, if you're in church and somebody walks up and grabs your baby, you might not do anything right at first, but you're definitely going to be paying attention and watching very closely. Um, we don't know if, if uh, Joseph and Mary knew Simeon. Probably not. But it had kind of been a big few months for them. They had seen a lot of crazy stuff happen. Um, you know, they, they probably didn't know what to expect. But here, uh, this guy comes and takes their baby, holds him up, says, bless God. And then we hear these words in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So what do we learn already? He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation comes from who? It comes from the Lord. We can't righteous up our lifestyle enough to create our own salvation. Uh, We can't be good enough or anything like that. Uh, We are desperately lost, and salvation comes from the Lord. So Simeon says, "I've, I've I've seen the baby. I've seen this baby, your salvation. I was thinking about that as, as we, you know, have occasion to look at babies. And you wonder, um, I wonder what they're going to be when they grow up, right? Um, but do we wonder maybe a little bit more spiritually? I wonder who they're going to lead to the Lord. I wonder who they're, how they're going to manage their families. I wonder how they're going to shepherd the people that God brings to them. Uh, those are definitely the things we should be praying for. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is a public event. There's no secrets here. He is making a proclamation to whoever is in earshot. A light, verse 32, for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This paraphrases may have, pair of phrases, not paraphrase. Uh, this, uh, these two phrases, let me put it up, um, contain what might have been brand new information for Mary and Joseph. Wait a minute. The Messiah, Israel, God's chosen people, um, 
how God's going to preserve this remnant that we've talked about forever. Uh, wait a minute. The Gentiles too. Now, Isaiah hints, hints at this, of course. Um, there's a passage, um, in fact, more than hints. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely um, in prophecy, but I don't think when the Jews were talking about uh, looking for their Messiah, I think they were mostly thinking about being rescued from the Gentiles, not participating with the Gentiles. But um, Isaiah 42, verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I've called you in, the, in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison where those sit in darkness. Sounds very familiar to Isaiah 61 that Jesus quoted about himself, right? Now, of course, we also get hints of this. Pastor Bobby's been talking, kind of giving us the big scope of history and his Israel topic. And we know that God's promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, included that element of, of that, you know, the whole nations are in view here. So this isn't perhaps brand new, but it certainly may not have been top of mind that this was going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Uh, of course, it would have been revelation for the Israel too. It would have been glory to the Gentiles. I mean, uh, I think it's kind of poetic language there um, that the Messiah is doing all of that. Verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Uh, If somebody... I'm sorry, Isaiah, before that was Isaiah 46, you said? 46. Uh, no. 436. Yeah. 43, 6, I have to say. Yep. 46. Thank you, sorry. Let me double check. No, it's 42, 6. 42. Yep, 42, 6. And then... Bingo! Bingo! Jesus, the, where Jesus quoted uh, all that about himself was Isaiah 61. In any event, um, it says they mar- the father and mother marveled about what was said about him. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So the two main things that Simeon says, this first is a, is a praise. It's a psalm to God, this song of, of Simeon that we have in 29 through 32. And now Simeon turns to the parents and says, Behold, this child is appointed. For the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul. So this is um, this is a sober word, right? Uh, one um, one commentator says, if the gospel is only about Christmas, it's not the full gospel, right? If it's only about the coming of Jesus and not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then it's not the full gospel. 
All right. Um, the, our world is very willing to celebrate Christmas, um, less willing to participate in, in Easter. And that's, that's the, the, the two things here. And it says, the child's appointed the fall and rising of many in Israel. What does that mean? Uh, people have debated, does this mean that he's talking about two groups of people? There's going to be one group of people that's going to be brought down and one group of people that's going to be raised up. Um, some people go with that. Um, maybe slight majority think this is talking about one group of people, that there'll be a group of people that, that fall, uh, who stumble, you know, uh, on the, the, the message of Jesus, uh, but then eventually will we'll rise with him. This word uh, rise, except in this passage, all the other times that this word is used, it's, it's referring to the resurrection. Uh, but at least you get the message here that uh, that his messiahship, this this thing that's being inaugurated, may not be the way you expect it, right? Uh, and of course, we we know that was part of the disciples, you know, confusion. It's just, you know, we believe you, but this is not what we pictured, you know. And so here we get elements of that early on. Looking, and it's interesting, he says, he said these things to Mary. And some people see in this a foreshadowing that when it gets hard toward the end, that maybe Joseph isn't around anymore. And maybe he has died um, in some way. Uh, because it's a word specifically to Mary that she's going to be around to see th when things go bad. Some people have, have noted that this word sword here is different than where the scripture often talks about a sword, which would be, um, um, like when it talks about Peter's sword, it's, it's talking about something, maybe the length of a machete or smaller. Uh, this was talking about a sword like like Excalibur, like a big sword, something that might be approaching a spear, perhaps like the spear that was used to pierce Jesus' side, a big sword, and said, it'll pierce your own soul too so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And of course, we know that the big thing about Jesus is it's hard to, if you're really paying attention, if you're really paying attention, it's hard to be lukewarm about Jesus. He's a very polarizing figure uh, if, you're, if, you're really, if you're really paying attention. Uh, it's, it's easy to maybe get by with accepting Jesus in, a, in swaddling cloths, but... Um, the real Jesus that's going to challenge you and, and uh, all that is, is not, um, it's not a simple Jesus. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Again, Luke is uh, kind of, grounding all this. Now, it's interesting that it mentions the tribe of Asher. So have you ever heard this phrase, the, the ten lost tribes of Israel? Ever heard that phrase? Throughout history, people have noted that uh, the vast majority of the northern kingdom of Israel, um, you recall the Babylonians got them, uh, the Syrians took what was left. A remnant of people 
escaped to the southern kingdom of Judah. But the vast majority uh, got assimilated into those other conquering kingdoms, and we don't hear much of them afterwards. But here we have Anna, who has maintained her genealogy. Uh, This probably would have been oral tradition. My dad and his dad and his dad and his dad, all the way back to establish her part of this of this nation. She was advanced in years, so here we know she, she unlike Simeon, where we don't know, we're pretty close on. She's either 84 or 107 or 108, something like that. Here's where we get it. It says, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So if she got married, let's say she got married at 17, then she was a widow by the time she was 24. And it says she was a widow until she was eight of 84. So um, we don't know if that's 84 years as a widow, where you get the bigger number, or she lived till 84. Either one would have been very old age for back in the day. Look at her. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. There are... Um, there are a number of uh, prophetesses mentioned in the Bible, um, and um, here she was recognized as one. Uh, it was not uh, easy being a prophet back in the day. You had to be 100%, um, but yet here she was. We think about prophecy not being very evident um, in what we call the intertestamental period, um, those 400 years from uh, before the Gospels pick up. But apparently there were some prophets uh, here and there, and, and she is recognized as one. Again, a very reliable witness. People knew her, right? If you went to the temple, even if you just went once a year, every year, well, she's a familiar face. You know, you could be going there... 80 years, man, I can't believe she's still around, you know? Uh, I remember when I was a kid, she was still here. She was old then. I mean, you can just hear, you know, um, you can just hear it. I mean, all this time, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. Is fasting and prayer, is that a ministry? Yes, absolutely. Um, preaching is a ministry. Teaching is a ministry. Serving is a ministry. Um, fasting and prayer, arguably, might be better than all of those because it's just you and the Lord, right? Verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, it just so happened, at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Consolation of Israel, redemption of Jerusalem, talking about the same thing. Messiah has come. So, I didn't intend to talk about this passage. I wanted to do something aside from 1 Thessalonians. 
What I've been mostly thinking about in the early part of December was actually Hanukkah. And, um, and I've just been, th- been thinking about that a lot. And we talked about this a little bit when we went through John. You don't have to turn here, but... On the passage. In John 10, verse 22, he's he's just finished, Jesus that is, has just finished talking about him being a good shepherd. You may remember the context of him talking about being a good shepherd was against the fact that there were a lot of bad shepherds going around. Um. And uh, remember him talking about the, the thief that comes in and steals the sheep, but, you know, he's a good shepherd. He knows his sheep. They know him. They know his voice, right? So all that had happened. Well, who was he talking about? He was talking about all the corrupt people in the temple. There's so many great themes in the Bible. Pastor Bobby, a few weeks ago, he was talking about a lot of things, but he kept talking about the temple, Right? He talked about the tabernacle, and we know that that moved around. You know, um, the tabernacle was where God met man, right? The tabernacle moved around, right? And then we learned about David. David said, I w- you know, it's not right. I live in a better place than you do, Lord. Uh, you, need a, you, need a, you need a temple. God says, it's a great idea, but your son needs to do it. We, learned, we know about Solomon's temple, what they call the first temple, right? We know that that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, right? Um, we know that after the Babylonians, there was the Assyrians, there, then there was the Persians. King Cyrus of Persia says, y'all go build the temple back. That's what they call the second temple, right? After Alexander the Great came through and his generals and they desecrated the, the temple, things went really bad. Everybody was corrupt. You know, the priests were basically how cozy you were with the government was how, how much influence you had. It was a very corrupt time. And so as Jesus is walking around, verse 22 of John 10, it says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And that's when he goes on to talk about um, this. Well, the Feast of Dedication, that that was Hanukkah. That's what was going on. Hanukkah referred to this miracle, right? So the temple had been desecrated by one of... Alexander the Great's generals who had taken over the area. It had been desecrated. It had to be rededicated. Part of that process involved lighting a menorah with oil. They only had one days of oil, right? And the miracle was that, that every time they went back to light the next candle, there was still enough oil left, right? So the Feast of Dedication, it was rededicating the temple that had been desecrated, Right? So when Jesus is walking through this temple, he's walking through a very, he's, 
they're celebrating rededicating the temple, but yet here they are so many years later and it's gotten corrupt again. So it's interesting to me, 30 years before, as Simeon and Anna are at the temple being righteous and devout in the midst of a very corrupt place. But that was still the dedicated place where he went to meet God. God's always wanting to meet us. He doesn't have to meet us in perfect places. So I just kind of been thinking about this and it made me think about, I know our churches aren't temples, right? Um, but kind of they are. I love Ephesians, but every so often a verse pops out that I never paid much attention to. Listen to this from Ephesians 2.20. Uh, Back to 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the church, with Christ as its cornerstone, that's our temple. Christ is still working on his bride, right? We're not there yet. There are just wonderfully dedicated you know, leaders in our churches, members in our churches trying to get it right. Of course, everybody has a different opinion of what that really looks like. But we all know the story. There is no perfect church, right? Uh, there is no perfect group of people, you know, because we're people. But yet it says it's growing into a holy temple of the Lord. And it just made me think about, you know, what our dedication to this, to whatever our local church is. You know, what does it really mean when people just say, well, I'm going to pick up my marbles and go to some other church? What does that really mean? Um, can God use you at a place where it's not a perfect church? Can God use you at a place where it's not turning out the way you expected? You know, we have such a consumerist view here in the Western world. We, we go to places that meet our needs. I don't know if the temple in Jerusalem was meeting Simeon's needs or not, but man, he was showing up. I don't know if the temple was meeting... Anna's needs, but boy, was she showing up. Um, It was corrupt. It was corrupt. I mean, we know Jesus. He was turning over the money changers in the temple, right? He was all about cleansing the temple. But yet, here were these devout people showing up. And they were meeting other devout people who were also showing up, like Mary and Joseph. Um, it's just an interesting dynamic. I haven't quite pulled all these different threads together in my head the way I hoped I would. But uh, we're going to hear more about the temple. It seems to be something God's coming back to. Um, 
in our learning and our topics. Uh, minor prophets, you know, we'll be talking about what's going to happen. Um, interesting topic. Simeon and Anna, good witnesses uh, in a place that wasn't uh, place that wasn't perfect. Uh, I guess that's all I got. Any comments about any of that? A little rambly today. All right, well, I'll close this out. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this great narrative about, uh, about uh, Mary and Joseph and bringing Jesus and the recognition of who he was going to be uh, and who he was and who he was going to be, rather, by Simeon and Anna. Uh, we thank you for uh, just a message that's there. Uh, this also is a message of Christmas, um, that it's, uh, it's not all going to be great, but it's all going to be good. And we thank you for Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection, through which we become part of this whole story. In his name I pray, amen. Thanks, everybody.